Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. It's Potpourri Day once again here at OTB with a number of topics I want to hit before we close yet another episode. They are, in an order I haven't quite settled on yet, the 76ers essentially hitching their wagon for now and almost forever, with a four-year, $196 million extension to Joel Embiid, assuring that Embiid is theirs until 2026-27, when he'll turn 32. And what all that means for their chances of winning the franchise's first title since 1983. I also want to get into the Christmas Day slate of games that have just been released, a rumor about where Rajon Rondo could wind up, and the dunderheadedness of composing and comparing big threes, particularly because of how they are most commonly measured. As most of you probably know, the first big contract the Sixers signed Embiid to had about 35 pages to it, with all the provisos and clauses to protect themselves should he break down after a stress fracture in his right foot cost him his first two years in the league. The result of the healing process being prolonged, which didn't bode well for Embiid not missing considerable time with any future injury. Stress fractures for 280-pound seven-footers before they've even attempted to navigate the 82-game NBA schedule are not a promising harbinger for a long career. The 
haunting saga of another big man, Greg Oden, who missed his entire rookie season and wound up spending more years on the injured list, four, than those he actually played, which was three, was still visible in the rearview mirror when Embiid was drafted. There were a lot of questions about Embiid's commitment to doing the rehab work and staying fit in order to avoid additional injuries, aside from the questions about just the general health and structure of his body. Hence the David Foster Wallace novel for a contract. But while he still has retained a lot of spontaneous, fun-loving personality, he clearly has put in the time and effort to keep his body right in a game that is more demanding physically, arguably, than ever, particularly for bigger guys such as himself. A build like Kevin Durant's is far more conducive to the way the game is being played today than one like Embiid's or Nikola Jokic's. Here's the big question, though. Is it reasonable to expect the Philadelphia 76ers to win a championship with Embiid as their centerpiece? As much as I would never deem the process a success, the best I can give it is an incomplete because Sam Hinkie, its architect, was only given enough time to do the demolition and collect a few random beams, but not even begin to build the actual house. I believe Embiid has the skills and demeanor to one day hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. But there's a lot more that goes into being the centerpiece of a championship team. And that day won't come unless he takes his maturity to yet another level or two. There's absolutely nothing wrong with playing with swagger. It certainly hasn't hurt Steph Curry or LeBron James. But it's a matter of knowing when it's justified, or at least not premature. Let's put it this way. I've never seen Steph shimmy for all four quarters. I can't even remember him ever celebrating in the first half, much less the first quarter. It's probably happened. It just doesn't stand out. Not one of his more grandiose celebrations anyway. Because Steph has a keen sense of when he's truly hit a shot or made a play that has put the opponent back on his heels or swung the momentum of the game in his favor. Joel hasn't figured that out yet. He just emotes or celebrates when he's feeling good, which can be as early as the first quarter if he has it going right out of the gate. Here's the problem with that. Unless you're ready to sustain that for the rest of the game, all you've done is create a spark of incentive for your opponent who now has three quarters to cool you off and show you up, which assuredly will happen because no one stays hot and hyped for four quarters. So exactly what was the point or product of all that early celebrating? Embiid also has to learn that every time he touches the ball with the purpose of scoring, a handful of pump fakes and jab steps, followed by a demonstration of his ability to put the ball on the floor and maneuver his way to the basket or take a step back jumper, isn't always necessary. All of that takes a lot of energy that isn't necessarily producing points. Learning to score in ways that require less energy 
will leave him with something in the tank down the stretch, something he consistently did not have against the Hawks in these last playoffs. Considering that Atlanta had no answer for Milwaukee after Giannis Antetokounmpo got hurt because the Bucks went back to using Brooke Lopez as a conventional center and made Hay doing it, the Sixers should have been able to do the same with Embiid. But he spent far too much time playing pick and roll or operating from the mid post, which meant having to work his way down the block. Now put some of that on the fact that the Sixers were playing without a point guard aggressive enough to create easy buckets for Embiid in that series. But not all of it. Speaking of the Sixers point guard situation, please don't believe for a second that Philly has any way of getting Damian Lillard for Ben Simmons. They don't have a way of getting C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons. Nor are the Sixers fine with having Simmons still on the team when training camp opens. Because Simmons is not fine with still being on the team when training camp opens. I can't help but think that this is all Philly-driven innuendo, rumors, propaganda, if you will. Because whatever you think of Simmons' performance in the playoffs, Doc Rivers and Embiid broke a cardinal rule by how they handled his struggles. It might have been delicious for fans to hear Embiid call Simmons out. But remember when the Warriors lost to the Cavaliers in the 2016 Finals? Thanks in part to Harrison Barnes going 2 for 14 in Game 5, 0 for 8 in Game 6, and 3 for 10 in Game 7. 7. Did you hear Steve Kerr or Steph Curry at any point during that stretch call him out? Or any other warrior for that matter? You did not. Because no matter how obvious it might be that a particular player's performance has undermined the team, maybe even cost it a win or two, the public criticism can't come from within the circle. Doc didn't necessarily say anything. He just made it painfully clear he'd lost all faith in Simmons by when he did and didn't play him and what he did and didn't allow him to do. And Embiid straight up called Simmons out for being afraid to shoot. There's no recovering a trust or respect between teammates after something like that. It would be like the Houston Rockets welcoming James Harden back after he essentially told the world they weren't good enough for him. That's not going to happen. The Philadelphia 76ers are in a tough spot. They've already set the bar for what they expect to get, four draft picks and who knows what else, and a superstar, and that's clearly not going to happen. How far back they have to go, how far they have to drop their demands is going to be the question. But at this point, it's not about the ball being in their court or them making demands. They need to move Ben Simmons. They can't have him on this team because he doesn't want to be there. And the entire league knows it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I can see Embiid as a champion in spite of all that I just talked about because he is skilled enough and fearless enough. And... I've seen guys mature and pick up the rest. As of right now, he looks around the league and doesn't see anyone he doesn't think he's capable of beating. Accomplishing that starts with believing you can. He has that part down. Now, he just needs to learn exactly what it takes to do it, which is a lot more than staying healthy, staying fit, and playing hard. Playing smart is another essential element. I so badly want the Lakers to be good now that the Christmas Day schedule has come out because there's nothing I'd like more than to see the Lakers and Nets face off with both teams rolling. I've expressed my reservations about what the Lakers have put together, although I do expect them to be a very formidable regular season team. And I'm just hoping that that is the case as we roll into Christmas Day. Because what an absolute gift that would be if the Lakers and the Nets are rolling. Hawks-Knicks is a solid start to the day, rekindling their first-round series that the Hawks dominated. I don't know that Kemba Walker is going to change that equation. I'm more interested in seeing Mitchell Robinson and John Collins or Clint Capella tangle since Mitchell wasn't around for the series because of injury. It will also be a test of Tom Thibodeau's ability not to swing for the fences to get a win, something he generally can't resist when it's a high-profile game. Celtics-Bucks is up next. That should be a nice breather. I don't imagine... Well, Christmas Day is always kind of a crapshoot, but I believe that the Bucks, with what they have learned, and I don't know that Dennis Schroeder is enough to change the equation for the Celtics... I would expect that that is a relatively easy win for the Bucks, But then we get Warriors and Suns squaring off in the afternoon. That could be interesting, depending on whether we have any Clay Thompson available. The end of the slate is where it really gets good. Hopefully, as I said, with Lakers-Nets, and then followed by the Mavs and the Jazz. Now that the Grizzlies have moved Patrick Beverly to the Timberwolves, it's not quite as urgent that they find a new home for Rajon Rondo. Obviously, you're probably aware that John Morant has spoken glowingly of Rondo and how Rajon is the one who led him to fall in love with passing the ball, understandably. Rondo's always been gifted in that department and has always been fun to watch. Although I'm not sure how much Rondo has left But if there's any team that could utilize him, it's Memphis. They have young athletic guys with high basketball IQs in Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark, to name two, who can protect him at the defensive end and allow Rondo to create create shots for them. He'd be a great mentor for for Ja. And because of Ja, you wouldn't be asking too much of Rondo at any given time. But don't sleep on the possibility if the Grizzlies do decide to move on, of Rondo making a return to the Lakers, yes, I said it, the Lakers, if the recent workouts of Isaiah Thomas, Darren Collison, and Mike James don't earn them 
uh, a roster spot. I'm told as of right now, Rondo going back to the purple and gold is premature, but I wasn't told to dismiss it. This last item is inspired by a debate we had earlier on Speak for Yourself about the Nets and Bucks Big Threes and which one you'd rather have. And we've now dumbed this down to every team has a Big Three, which obviously is not true. There aren't that many bigs or big players in the league. So um, I'm not going to rehash the entire conversation, but I picked the Bucks because the question was not who is the most talented but who you would rather have. Which means, in my mind, I'm playing GM, and so I need to know who is the most effective, the most dependable, and who requires the least maintenance. Because this is quality of life for me. I want to have a good team, but I want to have people that aren't going to make my life difficult. With that criteria, the Bucks win by a landslide. <laughs> I understand that outside of Clay, Steph, and KD, we've probably never seen three scorers as talented as Harden, KD, and Kyrie on one team. But a big three has to play at both ends of the court. And whatever superiority the Nets trio has over the Bucks, it doesn't compare to the Bucks threesome superiority on defense. As for dependable, which includes ability to stay healthy and available, again, there's no comparison. And finally, what kind of drama do I have to navigate and deal with? Can anyone remember an incident or controversy of distraction created by either Giannis, Middleton, or Drew? Do I need to give you the laundry list of incidents, controversies, or distractions created by well, I could go with Kyrie or KD or both. And Harden has the capability as well. Again, advantage Milwaukee by a wide margin. I actually don't consider either of them a big three. KD and Harden, okay, a big two. And Kyrie is a plus one because he sort of operates in his own sphere. Drew... Chris Middleton and Giannis are not a big three either, but they are a perfect triangle. You've got a point guard slash playmaker, a wing slash scorer, a forward slash post scorer slash rebounder slash rim protector slash whatever you kind of need him to be in Giannis. You couldn't ask for a better distribution of responsibilities. Steph... Clay and Draymond were a com comparable blend. LeBron, Wade, Bosch had to do some adjusting, some refiguring of where they were playing on the floor, but they ultimately got to the same place. Duncan, Manu, Tony were a little different, but again, all brought different strengths to the table. And of all those I mentioned... A lot of really good defenders. A lot of two-way players. KD, Harden, Kyrie has too much redundancy. Too much of the same strengths and weaknesses. Now that overwhelming strength in one area is a bitch to handle during the regular season. As they proved last year. 
But the playoffs are different. There's time to zero in on weaknesses. That's why this idea that the Nets nearly beat the Bucks with just KD and half of Harden, so imagine what they'll do with all of Harden plus Kyrie, is misleading. The way Harden and Kyrie contribute means that KD will not have the opportunity to hit the same marks he did as a soloist. Nor will he play as many minutes, which certainly contributed to his monstrous production. The beauty of Holiday, as he proved several times during the playoffs, is that he doesn't have to score to have a huge impact. Same with Giannis. Whereas, if Kyrie is not scoring, he's certainly not making up for it on defense, or creating for others. Harden, too, has to be making plays and knocking down shots. KD is the only one of the three who presents a legitimate two-way player. Besides, the question with the Nets was never if they were talented enough, but if they fit together. The question with the Bucks was never fit. It was, are they good enough? Well, the Bucks proved they were. The Nets have yet to do the same as far as fit is concerned. Do I think the Nets are dangerous? Yes. Do I think they're the best team in the NBA? No, I do not. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. My plan for the next episode is to talk about the difference in the draft picks that we're seeing, the top draft picks, between those that actually went to college for a year and those who went directly to the G League and then were drafted. There are strengths and weaknesses in how those two different platforms prepare a player. And I believe that we've already witnessed the differences. I've often thought that the G League would be a great place, much better to develop players than the college game. Now, I'm not so sure. I'll get to exactly why in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.